KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. You are listening to the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Yutet Elul, Parashat Ki Tavo. The Erev Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat, Shlomo Yosef, Ben Chaim Shmuel, and I am your host, Jonathan Snowbell. I would like to also dedicate um, the Erev Shabbat program in memory of Tammy Kagan, a friend of my sister's who passed away this week of cancer. We're continuing in our odyssey towards Rosh Hashanah, towards Yom Kippur, towards Yom Im Noraim. And we've discussed at length over the last two weeks the importance of engaging, the importance of being involved even if we don't feel identified. I want to come to another place and speak about what are the difficulties of identification that I'm referring to. Perhaps I'm speaking on a personal level now, but Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Yemei Din, can be very frightening experiences when one faces their one's sins, when one faces judgment in front of God, and often when we face uncomfortable situations, we want to run away from them. And I remember a very clear time in my life where all I wanted it for it to be Yud Aleph Tishrei, I wanted it to be after Yom Kippur, I could handle Sukkot, I couldn't handle the Slichot, and I couldn't handle the Deen, and I just wanted to be past that time. And yet, on different levels, it is very possible that perhaps even in situations which don't seem like good situations, frightening situations, we can perhaps specifically in those situations find God and find closeness to God despite the difficulty of the situation that we may be in. And I'm referring on the most basic level then to that fear of deen, that fear of judgment, of facing one's sins, of facing God, judging our sins. And as frightening as it may be, and as unpleasant as it may be, finding solace in the fact that we are close to God at this point. We are in front of God. And that in itself is something that can be comforting. And I think from here, we extend to something that is related to the Parsha and something that is related to the death of my sister's friend and an important lesson. 
my sister kept on telling me throughout uh, her friend's ordeal that while the questions on on my sister's side is why did this young friend who was in her mid-30s, late mid-30s, who had a child, productive person, a doctor, was helping people, why suddenly God decided that this person's life was going to come to an abrupt end? And while my sister faced these questions, her friend over and over intimated to her that she felt closer to God throughout the ordeal and was at ease with God throughout the ordeal. To take us to a completely different place, but perhaps not so completely different, perhaps on a bigger level, on a national level, and perhaps for the individual involved on this national ordeal, not so different, the Holocaust. And Rav Amital, the Rosh Hashiva, often says regarding the Holocaust, he is a survivor of the Holocaust from Hungary, that he always saw the hand of God in the Holocaust, throughout the Holocaust. This wasn't to say that he understood the Holocaust. This wasn't to say that he ever gave reasons as to why God allowed for the Holocaust to happen. He didn't understand what the Yad Hashem, the hand of God that he saw in the Holocaust, meant. But it was clear to him. And he felt it. And there was a closeness to God. And we come to the Parsha as well. The Parsha, where we come to the longest Aliyah in the Torah, and for anyone who's ever read this Parsha as a Balkora, a draining Aliyah on the most basic level, because close to 60 psukim in one shot. But beyond that, on an emotional level, reading the foretelling of suffering and destruction that the Jewish people will face in the future, that we, living today, can look back and see every pasuk as it played itself out historically, thinking about the suffering of the Jewish people throughout the generations. And yet feeling a closeness to God. Of course, in this week's Parsha, it's much different than what we described about the Holocaust, where in the Holocaust, we don't understand. The Parsha is giving a very different take on things. We understand very clearly. Im lo Hashem The Torah is very clear that if we are good, things are good. If we are bad, things are bad. And not, expa- not taking from that to the Holocaust, where... I prefer to stay with question marks, not to explain everything. And nonetheless, there is a common denominator between the Holocaust and the Parsha, besides the suffering, and that is Yad Hashem. 
same feeling of Yad Hashem that Rabbi Mital described as his experience in the Holocaust. Clearly, when we read Parshat Kitavo, the Yad Hashem is very, very clear. Because everything is, Vifla Hashem et Makotcha, Yakecha Hashem, Yakecha Hashem. Everything is God doing, is God's doings. God is doing everything. God is responsible for your suffering. And while it is terrible to suffer, it is terrible to suffer knowing that you're being punished for your sins. There is something comforting about knowing that you are in God's hands. Even it is, even if it means that you are suffering at God's hands, there is a relationship. There is a connection to God. If the famous saying said, parting is such sweet sorrow, and perhaps the emotion we are describing here is that at times, for those who experience it, suffering at the hands of God can also be sweet sorrow. The sorrow, the suffering, whether it's inexplicable suffering at the hands of God, as today generally, without Nevi'im, without the Torah telling us, we feel that suffering is often unexplained. And whether it's suffering that is clear to us, that the Navi tells us this is suffering because of your sins, the sorrow is clear because we are suffering. But there can be sweetness. There is potential for sweetness in the connection to God. Vifla shemet makotcha. God is responsible for the makot. And perhaps this is a source for being able to feel God despite the suffering. This ability to feel that we are in the hands of God. We are suffering because of His decision. Whether we understand His decision or not, it is God. And there is closeness. And there is a relationship. And we constantly seek a relationship with God, perhaps in happier times, for sure in happier times. But if not, then we can take solace in the fact that at least there is a relationship. And perhaps something that in the past was missing is now present. And when we transform that to our analysis of Yamim Noraim, the same is true as well. 
the fear of Yom Hadin being judged, being judged by God, the fear of facing oneself, looking oneself into the mirror, evaluating one's actions, finding out and pointing to where we fail, making ourselves feel uncomfortable with ourselves, a spiritual suffering, which we can take solace in the fact that we are being judged by God in front of God. We are close to God. It is daunting. It is scary. But it is a sweet sorrow where we know that we are going into Yamim Noraim to pray t- in front of God. We'll be praying more during Yemei Slichot, the days of Slichot, which will be starting for Ashkenazim Saturday night as we come closer t- and closer to Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah will come and it will be Yom Hadin, but it will be Yom Hadin in front of God. And with all the fear, we will take solace in the fact that judges God is judging us and we are close to God on that day. This is an attempt uh, to rationalize suffering, to explain anything. This is descriptive. For those of us like Aramital, like my sister's friend Tammy, who've experienced this. Nothing can take away from this experience, and this is experience that they have felt. Suffering, tragedy, together with a closeness to God. And perhaps for those of us who do have a difficult time identifying, digesting these Yemei Slichot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, perhaps it is a model for us to try to adopt and to experience. With that, we will turn the microphone over to Rav Tavori. This week will be the yard site on Chav Dalit Elul of Harav Meir Ben Sion Chai Uziel, who was the Sephardi chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael. Rav Meir Ben Sion Chai Uziel was born in Yerushalayim in 1880 on Yud Gimel Sivan. His father was a known Tamid Chacham who was actually the Dayan of the Bet Hadin Sfaradi in Yerushalayim. His mother also came from an illustrious rabbinic family, the Chazan family, and they could trace their lineage back to many, many great Gedolim. In fact, there were Ashkenazi Gedolim also in their lineage. Rav Uzia was taken by his father to Cheder, where, of course, he showed great promise, like every other uh, Rav that we'll talk about. He started learning fairly young, 
But his case is very unusual because his father passed away when he was 14. When Rav Uziel was 14 in 1894, his father passed away. He, the young Rav Meir ben Sion Chai, was the oldest of six children who had no visible means of support. He, at the age of 14, took upon himself the responsibility of taking care of his family, and he began to teach, going from house to house, teaching private lessons in order to support the family. At the same time, he continued his own education. It seems to be not only a Torah education, but he was interested in some form of secular knowledge. He studied various languages and was erudite in many fields. At the age of 20, we already know that he accepted a full position teaching in a yeshiva in Yerushalayim called Tiferet Yerushalayim, and he taught in other places as well. In 1911, when he was 31 years old, he was appointed to be the chief rabbi of Tel Aviv Yafo. Now, today, the people that think of Tel Aviv Yafo, of course, have one image. But let's remember that Tel Aviv Yafo in 1911 was beginning to develop as a city. The other chief rabbi in Tel Aviv Yafo at that time was Rav Kook. Rav Kook welcomed Rav Uziel to be his partner in Yafo, and there Rabbanut served as an example of harmony and peace between the Ashkenazi chief rabbi, the Sephardi chief rabbi. In a certain respect, they tried to organize one union together. He, Rav Uziel, was very, very close to Rabbi Yaakov Meir, who was his mentor and sort of adopted him when his father had passed away. Rabbi Yaakov Meir had many important positions in Israel. One time he will become the chief rabbi. But at this time, Rav Yaakov Meir was the rabbi of Salonika which had a, a big Jewish community, a big Sephardi Jewish community. Rabbi Yaakov Meir was given then an important position in Israel and decided to leave the community of Salonika. But he was interested in making sure that the community still prospered, specifically the Sephardi community would continue. And he offered and beseeched Reb Yaakov, Reb Meir, Ben Sion Chai Uziel, to take his place as the chief rabbi of Salonika. Rav Uziel strongly wrestled with the issue if he should take this position. In one of the books written about Rav Uziel by one of the famous journalists of our times, Shabtai Don Yichia, who was connected with religious Zionism, was one of the editors of the Hatzofed, the Mizrahi newspaper. The, the report was given of Rav Uziel's speech about accepting this position. 
and he explained how difficult it would be for him to leave Eretz Yisrael. I, Rav Uziel, had asked and beseeched many people to come to Eretz Yisrael. How can I abandon my position, which I've worked in so diligently for eight years, and I love my community, without any distinction between one community or another? He means, of course, the Ashkenazim and the Sephardim. But after Rabbi Yaakov Meir, his Rebbe, asked him to take the position, he said, I will accept, because in a certain sense, I want to work in the great Svarti community. Perhaps I can be successful in reviving the spiritual uniqueness, the genius of the Svarti community, which somehow has become silent over the years. Perhaps I will be successful in promulgating the Dati Lu'umi position, the religious Zionist position. And therefore, he agreed. But he said, I would like to know, and I would like you to know that I re- plan and I would like to return to Eretz Israel. Mayor Dizengoff, the famous name Dizengoff, who was the mayor of Yushalayim, wrote a letter in response to Rav Uziel, and he said to him, I do not accept your resignation. However, I will accept your leave of absence for a time because I understand the needs of the community, I understand your needs, but we can't live, can't live without you. So, Rav Uziel did go to Saloniki, became chief rabbi. In a sense, it's like we do shlichut today. People go today, leave Israel to, for a short time, a few years, in order to spread what we call Torah Eretz Yisrael. So Rav Uziel did. He went to Saloniki. He stayed there for two years. He did come back to Tel Aviv in 1923. Now, if we remember that he became the chief rabbi in 1911, came back in 1923, and stayed chief rabbi in Yafo for many years, you can imagine the historical events of those years. World War I, the White Paper, the Balfour Declaration, all those important events were major upheavals in the world, and Rav Uziel took a major position in all these events. Rav Uziel spoke, discussed with the governments, was very active politically. He became a member, a leading member, of what we would call today the centrist orthodoxy. In another book written about Rav Uziel by Mark Angel, Rabbi Mark Angel, wrote not a biography of Rav Uziel, but rather what we would call an intellectual biography. He wrote about the grand religious worldview of Rav Benzion Uziel. In that book, Rav Angel remarks that Rabbi Uziel's approach to life in general, and Jewish life in particular, in particular was characterized by a desire for balance. He disapproved of religious extremism as he was unhappy with militant secularism. 
He valued spiritual life and also stressed the importance of this worldly wisdom and pursuits. He was a fiery Jewish nationalist and a spokesman for the universal mission of the Jews to humanity. What we would call centrist orthodoxy. And at that time, you can imagine how important that message was. In 1939, after the Patira of Rabbi Yaakov Meir, his mentor, his teacher, his predecessor, Rev. Uziah was appointed to be the Rishon Litzion, the Rav HaRashi Hasvaradi of Eretz Israel. In 1939, he accepted the position which he held for 14 years, until his Petira in 1953. When he was, although he was so active, and you can imagine in terms of history, what went on in those years, 1939 to 1953, the years of the United Nations debate, the establishment of the State of Israel, war in Eretz Israel, Rav Uziah was involved in every area of life, but yet found time at somehow to write his svarim, which show his prowess in drush, in speaking, in agada, but of course, as is well known, in the world of halacha. He wrote a few svarim, that were printed, some of them were redone posthumously, but among the more famous Svarim are the Shelos Ushuvos Mishpatei Uziah, seven volumes at least of the Chuvos, which some of them perhaps will relate to later, are rather innovative, historically important. But he also wrote Svarim Ad Machshava, Hegione Uziel, the thoughts of Uziel, the Share Uziel, Drashos Uziel, and he did all this somehow while spending much time involved with people. The legends about his concern for people were are reflected, for example, in a story that I said this Dan Yechia wrote in his book that there was an open time when anyone could come to visit Rav Uziel in his office. He, no one had to make appointments and people could come in and some of them were what we would call nudniks. But he felt it was his responsibility as chief rabbi to deal with the entire community. And he told a story about a woman who had just come. So Rav Uziel said, and I'm quoting from the book. Jews come to me not only to ask questions and to discuss specific issues. Some of them come to just to speak to me. I do not have the right to take away their pleasure. For example, a woman just came to visit me, an unfortunate widow who comes every month to receive a donation. And she is so happy when she responds to give me a bracha. Don't take the bracha of a simple Jew lightly. Of course, the Mishnah in Perkei Avos, 
I don't take her brachas lightly. But more important, her brachas are more important for her that she gives to me. They're more important to her than money, even large sums of money that she receives from rich people. Why can I take, or how can I take this pleasure away from this unfortunate lady, even though it does create some sort of a waste of time for me. Because I'm sitting here as the chief rabbi, I have the right not to answer, not to meet the needs of Jews. It's a tremendous mitzvah to create goodwill, happiness for Jew, for people, and I love their visits, and I even love their tircha, the effort, expended effort that they caused me. Rav Uziel was known to be a Zionist leader and he was active in Mizrahi. Interesting to note that the first Vidav Mizrahi in Eretz Yisrael took place in Meyasharim. Today it would be hard to imagine that they could have a Vidav Mizrahi in Meyasharim. And what the participants included, of course, Rav Uziel, who was the main speaker at many of these functions, but the Rav of Meyasharim, Rav Gershon Horowitz, and many other Rabbanim took place as well. So, besides being a great Torah scholar, Rav Uziel was a man who loved truth, peace, and somehow what we would call somehow today the word sensuous orthodoxy strike in my mind. The name of the book by Mark Angel, Rabbi Mark Angel, actually is Loving Truth and Peace. And he thought this is the epitome of the persona, persona of Rav Uziel. He also felt he had a message to bring to Jews around the world and made v- many trips to different countries to spread the message of Torah and Tzionut. His visit to America in 1928 with some of the great Mizrahi leaders, Rav Meir Barilan, Rav Zev Gold, Rav Maimon, was of momentous importance in bringing the message of religious Zionism to America. He passed away, Rav Uziel passed away in 1953. The last weeks of his life, he was suffering from diabetes, he had amputations, but it never interfered with his desire to meet people, to hear people. He used to ask people to come to visit him in the hospital, not just for what we would call Bikacholim, but he actually had Dine Torah in the, in the hospital. He wanted to be with people. He was actually preparing to go to shul for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. He asked for his clothes to be prepared because he had hoped one last Rosh Hashanah, at least one more Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, he would be able to spend with his Kehillah. But unfortunately, he was Nifter on Chavdalid Elul of 1953. The Levaya was, of course, attended by many, many people, including, as befits the chief rabbi of Israel, the leaders of the government and Rav Herzog's Hesped at that funeral showed the love, admiration that the entire Jewish community, Ashkenazim and Sfardim, felt for the man who was the epitome of truth and peace, Rav 
מאיר בן ציון חי עוזיאל. Thank you very much, Rav Tavori. And as a note of conclusion, on a happier note, and on a personal note, I would like to wish uh, my father a happy birthday and a happy Bar Mitzvah Parsha, Parashat Ki Tavo. And a Yishuv Tov to both of my parents who uh, moved out of uh, the house that my siblings and I grew up with since 1970. And uh, this week they moved out and moved into a new home closer to where my siblings live. Still in Toronto. We're still in a, in a, a word of uh, encouragement to the rest of my family in Toronto and wherever else you may be to come on over and make another move to Israel. But in the meantime, until that happens, uh, I wish my parents the best of luck. And they should have lots of bracha. Baruch atah. B'tzaytecha, from your old house, and Baruch HaTabavoecha, into your new house. Shabbat Shalom.